this is Beth Shankle-Anderson, and welcome to Blog Talk Radio. This is Beth Shankle-Anderson. I apologize for jumping on the call a bit late. I um, We've had some storms here in Tallahassee, and the internet was unfortunately down on me for the past 20 minutes, so I've been trying to uh, to get that loaded up, and luckily I was able to get on the internet today. So um, we have a very special guest today, and uh, I hope he's on the line. Robert, are you there? I'm right here, Beth. Thank you. Great. Thank you so much for holding um, until I was able to get on the line. I uh, I appreciate it so much. Not a problem. Um, Robert, let me go ahead and, and uh, um, read your bio. Uh, you uh, are the author of a be- an international bestseller, Rich is a State of Mind, which is a novel that examines personal finance through the eyes of a humorously dysfunctional family. So I'm really excited to hear about that today. Um, your mission is to encourage people to take control of their personal finances in order to have a richly imagined future, which sounds just absolutely terrific. Well, Robert, thank you. Robert, you've shared this message with over 10,000 financial professionals and, of course, their clients as well across North Carolina and uh, North America. So I really appreciate um, you being on the show today and sharing all this uh, great information with us. Well, thank you very much for having me, Beth. Absolutely. Um, so I've read a bit of your bio. Why don't we uh, start out with a little bit of your background, if you'd like to share with the listeners. Sure. Uh, my background is for the last seven years, I have been speaking to financial services companies and their clients around North America about the concept of personal finance and money, why advisors don't necessarily understand us as clients, and why we, the clients, don't necessarily understand the importance of taking control of our money. Oh, okay. And why is that? What have you found that why don't we take control of our finances and money? Well, we tend to think that personal finance is really complex and that it won't matter whether or not we try to do that anyways because things are always conspiring against us or we never have enough money or we don't have the right job or we don't have the right education or knowledge. When in reality, personal finance is really a pretty simple endeavor. The problem that we have is we try to make it much more complex by trying to make it exciting. Oh, okay. Well, how do you do that? Well, by trying to look for the next big thing to invest in Mm -hmm. and by trying to do really intricate things with our money and should I be doing covered call put options and should I be investing all my money in gold and should I be doing... Anything that takes us away from the basics of personal finance, which are spend less money than you earn, put money away for a rainy day, and make sure that we've got some money invested for long-term savings. Well, And what prompted you to write the book, Rich is a State of Mind? And what prompted the title as well? I really like the title. The title. Well, I'll answer that in two parts, Beth. The first part is, is that the book was prompted out of a conversation I had with a financial advisor about 10 years ago about the concept of why don't people do better things with their money. And the financial advisors I was chatting to at that time over coffee said they weren't really sure because at the end of the day, the simpler you make personal finance, the better it is. And I said, well, I'm pretty good at simple And so I decided to play around with the concept of writing a book. And when I say play, it was one of those things that seemed like a really good idea at the time. And then you you try it for a bit and it doesn't seem to work. And you read it and you go, oh, that's, that's pretty stupid. That's not, you know, nobody would want to read this. 
And then all of a sudden, you know, the real world comes calling and says, you can't do this for a living. You've got to go back and, you know, find, quote, unquote, a real job. Um, so you do that and you take a job. And then all of a sudden, sometimes life conspires against you when you are supposed to really do something. Uh, the company I was working for went bankrupt. And then all of a sudden, I had some more time on my hands. But I had been away from the book for about a year at that point and open it up one day and started looking at what I had written. You go, you know, that's really not as bad as I really thought it was. And I sent it to the two gentlemen I was talking to, and I said, do me a favor. I said, send this to your peers and let them tell me if they think there's any future in this. If they say yes, I'll pick it up and, you know, get back on it. If they say no, then I'm going to get on with, you know, doing other things. And it was probably less than 72 hours later that I had nine responses that all of them said, this would be the great, the basis for a great story. Hmm. And well, that's, that's how it started. And whenever somebody like yourself asks me, so what is Rich is a State of Mind about? I always tell them this, Beth. Rich is a State of Mind is a novel about personal finance is seen through the eyes of a humorously dysfunctional family. So in, in short, they're like the families we know and love and the families we grew up in. Mm-hmm. I leave out of my bio that I've got a BA in psychology. I actually, I understand the concept of dysfunction, but the family at the heart of this story isn't that kind of dysfunctional. They're just, they're like the quirky families we grew up in, right? Somebody forgot to send a birthday card, so somebody doesn't come to Thanksgiving dinner. By the July 4th barbecue, nobody's talking to each other. They're that kind of family. Right. They're, so they're trying to come to grips with money, insurance, investing. What does it all mean? Why won't the future just take care of itself? And they're trying to share that within the family dynamic across a generation. So the humorously dysfunctional family is it's just about what we all um, share and enjoy with each other. Absolutely, because when I, I set out to write the book, I didn't want another seven steps to something or anything that resembled a university or high school textbook, because for too many of us, that brings back bad memories and you know, we're, we're done with the quote-unquote school thing. So I figured by, by creating a novel set within a family, I could ask and pose questions that people who are reading it could go, yeah, I've got that exact same question. Or my sister asked me that same question two days ago so that they could relate to the family and keep them reading. And one of my favorite pieces of feedback that I ever received is right here on my filing cabinet, and it says, Robert, Rich is a State of Mind is the first book on personal finance I ever finished. Wow, that's, that's, that's very incredible. Congratulations on such a, success, a successful book. Now, the second part of your question, which was why that title, mm-hmm. it was because I really – you know, I couldn't come up with rich is what? Rich is a million dollars. Rich is $2 million. Rich is $70,000. When I did was doing my research for the book, I sent out just over a 1,000 emails. I pretty much exhausted my email contact list. And I asked them to answer this question for me. What is rich? Question mark. It's a pretty simple question, right? It only has three words. In the responses that I got back, out of the probably 300 and some odd people who replied to my message, there were only two people who quoted me a dollar figure. Rich is one comma seven eight nine comma something. Everybody else told me 
what they thought their life would look like, who they'd be spending their time with, what they'd be able to do, how they'd be creating experiences for themselves if they ever answered the question, I'm rich. And so I went with the concept that it must be a state of mind because it means something different to each of us. And Beth, I'm sure you know somebody, you've you've got a friend in your close circle who if they've got $50 in their wallet or their purse, they feel like the richest person in town. Mm-hmm. And yet we know other people who, to the rest of us, appear tremendously successful, but they can't sleep at night because they're worried it's all going to disappear. Mm. So the question then becomes, which one of those two is rich? The person with $50 who feel great about themselves or the person with 600000 who can't sleep at night? That's absolutely true and a, a very good um, paradox to uh, to point out. Um, between what what is perceived as rich, it's a very subjective thing, and um, it could be um, a very small amount, a relatively small amount, I should say, or um, a large amount. And to those people, it, it can mean totally different things. So it truly is a state of mind. And it's often interesting that when you talk to people about the concept of rich, the first thing they talk about is money. Mm. Yet, if you look up rich in the dictionary, the very first definition has to do with color. Mm and the depth of color and how we perceive something as being rich in terms of hue. And money doesn't come in until third or fourth definition down. Oh, wow. That's a good thing to look up. So what does rich really mean? As I uh, stated earlier, it, it's individual for each of us. I've, you know, People in interviews have asked me if I'm rich. And I I say it depends on what your measurement tool is. If you're looking at a bank account balance, no, I don't believe that at all. But if you're looking at a life in general in terms of I'm 50 years old, both my parents are still alive, I'll be visiting with them on the weekend, I've got a great circle of friends, I've got a job that I love to do, I get out and play sports on a regular basis and get to hang out with my buddies and do some of that, and I've got a job that you know, I think is pretty cool where I get to go out and talk to people about their money and their dreams and their goals and where they want to go. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think I've got a very rich life from that perspective. The problem with the concept of rich is money is a very poor tool for measuring things. Yet all too often, it's how people, the people we know that are close to us, tend to measure things. My car is better than your car. My house is bigger than your house. And we all worry that we're not keeping up to the people around us because we look at what other people have. And it's those displays of richness that are based upon money that sometimes don't allow us to feel as good as we probably should. But what's become apparent, Beth, over the last couple of years is that too many people have been funding a lifestyle based on credit and easy access to credit cards. And for some of them, it's come crashing down around them in the last few years. Uh And my next question was going to be, why is money still an emotional issue for people? Um, In 2012, here we are, and it's um, it's a very touchy subject to some people. Well, it it is because it has to do with our sense of self-worth. Schools do not, even in 2012, do a great job of educating people about money and compound interest and finance. They would rather leave that to the home. The problem is, Beth, if your home environment, if your parents or your brothers and sisters, your peer group that you grew up around was not good with money, 
then parents can't teach their children the things they don't know. And some bad experiences get moved from one generation to the next generation to the next generation. But if your parents were good with money, you probably got some good, sound, fundamental lessons, which you in turn are giving your children and the people around you who are watching it are learning. We learn what we see. And so hopefully in those families that we grew up in, we got those good lessons. If we didn't get the good lessons, hopefully we're seeking out places where we can get them, either with financial professionals or with self-education. Wow, that's a that's a really um, that's a really great thing for parents to realize is that what how they spend their money, their children are picking up on, and going to be taking those habits with them throughout life. So, there there was a recent Wall Street Journal article that I, that I think was really interesting. It looked at children between the ages, I, I believe if I've got it correctly, between seven and twelve, and it was asking them you know some basic things about money and spending. And one of the questions that the researchers ask the kids in the quiz is, where does money come from? And I thought it was really interesting because a high percentage, it was well over 60%, told the researchers that money comes out of the machine in the wall. Oh. <laughs> because they've seen their parents take money out of bank machines on yeah. an ongoing basis, right? Right. They, they seem to have no connection that their mom and dad went to work every day to earn money or that they got it from maybe chores that they were doing around the house that their perception of money is that mom and dad go to a wall they put a card in it and money comes out hmm. and I, th I think that in its own right was a, is an interesting lesson for parents to be talking to their children about absolutely um, absolutely um. And you're also a big fan of goal setting. Um, are you a fan of goal setting as a whole or, or just with your finances? And more importantly, how do you set goals? Oh, I, I think goal setting, Beth, is certainly a whole life concept. Uh, are financial goals part of it? Absolutely. And But when we're setting goals for our life in general about trips or vacations we want to plan or the new car we want to buy five years from now, in some way, there's always a link between those other life goals that we want and a certain aspect of money or finances that are required to pay for them in order to accomplish them. But I think the funny thing about goals for those of us in North America is that we know we need to set them because they give us something to work, to work towards. But at the end of the day, we don't want to do it because we're afraid of being judged by the people around us who will say, why do you want that? Shouldn't you want this? Why don't you want these things? And when that happens, we decide that, you know, it's just not, it's just easier not to set any goals for myself, and I'll just be happy with whatever happens. Hmm. That's not a very good way to approach life. You, you need direction and, and uh, some sort of compass, I believe. Absolutely. Goals are great. That, that's an excellent analogy, Beth, is that goals are the compass which keeps us on track so that we know where it is we're headed. And it's okay if you get off course for a little while, but having the compass will eventually point you back towards north and move in the direction that you want to. Mm -hmm. So you have two editions to your book, a Canadian edition and an American edition to Rich is a State of Mind. What are the main differences between the two? The main difference between the two editions, Beth, is the fact that the terminology in Canada, where I currently am and live, 
and the U.S. is different. Up here, we have things called RRSPs and RESPs and TFSAs. And in the United States, you have 401ks and IRAs and 529 accounts and SEPs. The story of the family is exactly the same. The characters are the same. It's the terminology they use when they're discussing it that's different. But one significant change that some friends of mine who are very close to me and, and know the book well have noted, in the Canadian edition, there's a theme of hockey that runs through the book. <laughs> and, you know, it's Canadian. It's what we do. <laughs> and in the U.S. book, I decided to turn it into football because the the same concept of three periods to a hockey game, four quarters to a football game, worked well. But some of my early readers who read the U.S. edition, financial advisors in the U.S., kept going, tell us more about this hockey thing. And I realized that it wasn't resonating with them because unless you live in the Northeast or one of the major centers like Chicago or Detroit or, or perhaps even L.A., where they have hockey teams, some of the analogies didn't work as well. And so that's the really the only two differences between those two versions. Oh, okay. So it's it's more of a cultural thing, I guess. Absolutely. And the Canadian book has been out a little longer. It's been out about eight years now and uh -huh. is currently in its 12th printing. And the American book has been out for three years and is currently in its third printing. Okay. And um, I really like the phrase you use, richly imagined future. Can you explain that for my listeners? Sure. I borrowed the phrase from the graphic communicator Robert Burns, and it was his way of describing what life would look like if you had everything you wanted. Mm. And the reason that he, he talks about the richly imagined future was it's the concept, it's the pictures we hold for ourselves. And sometimes when we write goals down and we use words to describe them, they're there, but they're kind of abstract. But this concept of richly imagined future is, is what happens on, you know, a sunny Saturday afternoon. You're, you might be sitting in your backyard in your favorite lounge chair or riding your bike somewhere in a forest in the tree. It's when you take that moment for yourself to sit back and go, what is it I want? It's that picture that you build in your head because you don't build the what is it I want with a series of words. We tend to do it with with images, which is why, and I'm as a fan of goal setting yourself, Beth, I knew, know you're familiar with the concept of dream boards. Mm -hmm. And whenever we do a dream board for ourselves or we encourage our friends to do them, it's always about the pictures. It's never about the words. That's because, very true. Because it, we take those pictures with us and we carry them within ourselves. And the one thing that, you know, I've done a lot of reading on this and continue to do it because, as I tell people all the time, I don't have it all figured out. I'm just a work in progress like everybody else. And that concept of richly imagined future, somebody described it to me once. It said, if somebody were to sneak into your house in the middle of the night, shake you really hard at about 2.45 in the morning, and once you stopped screaming, they asked you, what were you just thinking about? That vision that you have in your mind at 2.45 in the morning is your richly imagined future. Mm. So it's something you carry with you all the time but may not realize it until you're at your, your most relaxed or, Absolutely. or what have you. Okay. Well, we have about a minute left, so let me give you um, a few minute, a few seconds just to um, share anything that you didn't get to share uh, before. 
Well, one thing I'd like to share with your listeners, Beth, is that there is a website called www.richisastateofmind.com. So it's the book's title, Rich is a State of Mind, all is one word, .com, where you can read some book reviews, you can read a sample chapter, you can see video of me speaking at industry events across North America. And if you're interested, you can A, drop me an email if you've got a question about the book, or you can click on the link to order either the Canadian or the U.S. edition or find out other locations where you can pick up a copy. Okay, well, great. And I uh, thank you so much for being on the show today, and I appreciate your patience and, and my getting my Internet connection issues. Sometimes that <laughs> not, happens on the radio. Not a problem, Beth. Technical stuff happens, and hopefully your listeners enjoyed our conversation. If we have the chance to do it again, I would welcome that opportunity. Oh, I absolutely would. And thank you, Robert Gignac. The book is Rich is a State of Mind. Thank you so much. Thanks, Beth.